we pick up in was it Genesis 41, I believe. Yeah. All right. <clears throat> and it came to be at the end of two years' time that Pharaoh had a dream and saw him standing by the river and saw seven cows coming up out of the river, beautiful looking and fat, and they fed amongst the reeds. Then saw seven other cows coming up after them out of the river, ugly and lean of flesh, and stood by the other cows on the bank of the river. And the ugly and lean of flesh cows ate up the seven beautiful looking and fat cows. Then Pharaoh awoke, and he slept and dreamed a second dream, or a second time, and saw seven heads of grain coming up on one stalk, plump and good, and saw seven lean heads scorched by the east wind coming up after them, and the seven lean heads swallowed the seven plump and complete heads. Then Pharaoh awoke and saw it was a dream. And it came to be in the morning that his spirit was moved, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Mitzrayim and all the wise men. Pharaoh re related to them his dreams, and there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my crimes this day when Pharaoh was wroth with his servants and put me in confinement in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker. Each one of us dreamed a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. And there was with us a Hebrew youth, a servant of the captain of the guard, and was related, or, and we related to him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to be, as he interpreted for us, so it came to be. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they hurriedly <coughs> brought him out of the dungeon. And he shaved and changed his garments and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is no one to interpret it. Now I myself have heard it said of you, that you understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, it is not in me, let, let Elohim answer Pharaoh with peace. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see in my dream, I stood on the bank of the river and saw seven cows coming up out of the river, beautiful looking and fat. And they fed amongst, amongst the reeds Then saw seven other cows coming up after them, poor and very ugly and lean of flesh such ugliness as I have never seen in all the land of Mitzrayim. And the lean of the flesh, <clears throat> the lean of flesh and ugly cows ate up the first seven, the fat cows. Yet when they had eaten them up, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were as ugly as it at the beginning. Then I awoke. Also I looked in my dream and saw seven heads coming up in one stalk, com complete and good. Then saw seven heads withered, lean, scorched by the east wind, coming up after them. And the lean heads swallowed up the seven good heads. And I spoke to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dream of Pharaoh is one. Elohim has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. It is one dream. And the seven lean and ugly cows, which came after them, are seven years. And the seven empty heads scorched by the east wind are seven years of scarcity of food. This is the word which I spoke to Pharaoh. Elohim has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. See, seven years of great 
plenty are coming in all the land of Mitzrayim. But after them, seven years of scarcity of food shall arise, and all the plenty be forgotten in the land of Mitzrayim, and the scarcity of food shall destroy the land. And the plenty shall not be remembered in the land because of the scarcity of food following, for it is very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice because the word is established by Elohim, and Elohim is hasten, hastening to do it. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Mitzrayim. Let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint overseers over the land to take up one-fifth of the land of Mitzrayim in the seven years of plenty. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the hand of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. And the food shall be for a store for the land for the seven years of scarcity of food which shall be in the land of Mitzrayim. And do not let the land be cut off by the scarcity of food. And the word was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Could we find another like him, a man in whom is the spirit of Elohim? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since Elohim has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. Be over my house, you yourself, and at your mouth all my people shall kiss. Only in the throne I am greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh took his seal ring off his hand and put it on Joseph's hand. And he dressed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. And he had him ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried out before him, Bow the knee. And he, set, and he set him over all the land of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without a word from you, let no man lift his hand or foot in all the land of Mitzrayim. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name, oh, good Lord, <laughs> Zathnath Paneah, and he gave him as a wife, Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. <clears throat> and Joseph went out over all the land of Mitzrayim. Now Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, sovereign of Mitzrayim. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Mitzrayim. And in the seven years of plenty, the ground brought forth generously. And he gathered all the food of the seven years, which were in the land of Mitzrayim, and laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city the food of the fields which surrounded them. Thus Joseph gathered very much grain as the sand of the sea until he ceased counting, for it was without number. And to Joseph were born two sons before the years of scarcity of food came, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, bore to him. And Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, or Manasseh. For Elohim has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. And the name of the second he is called Ephraim. For Elohim has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenty, which were in the land of Mitzrayim, came to an end. And the seven years of scarcity of food began to come. And Joseph has, as Joseph had said, and the scarcity of food was in all the lands, but in all the land of Mitzrayim, there was bread. But when all the land of Mitzrayim hungered, and the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, Pharaoh said to all his Mitzrites, Go to Joseph, do whatever he says to you. And the scarcity of food was over all the face of the earth. And Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Mitzrites. 
and the scarcity of food was severe in all the land of Mitzrayim. And all the earth came to Joseph in Mitzrayim to buy grain because the scarcity of food was severe in all the earth. Did your did yours say that he was 80 years old? Yeah, or did I mishear that? <laughs> um, mine said it's verse 46 in mine, but I have the TLV, so the verses might not be the right. So Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, sovereign of Mitzrayim. Okay. I don't know why I heard 80. My brain, <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> I think it would make sense that way anyways, because he was still a youth. Yeah. And they called him a Hebrew youth. <laughs> I find it interesting because where we were just talking about you know, survival and situations of famine and stuff. It shows that the father will provide. He'll make a way. We don't You're have to disobey him. Beans and buckets. Beans and rice. And then, of course, use mylar bags. But my mylar bags are in this closet over here, and I don't feel like pulling them out yet. Matthew 19.30 But many who are the greatest now will be least important then and those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Correct. This makes me think of uh, the discussion about um, Yeshua, you know, being the father and stuff too because this right here shows like Pharaoh made Joseph his second in command. He said that he's only higher than him in you know, the, because he holds the seat of Pharaoh. And so it shows that a king can give authority, all authority, to someone and still be higher and hold a higher position and not be equal with that person. Yeah. Also, it just goes to show that people are pretty dumb. Because all it <laughs> Dang, doesn't oh, oh, No, listen to me. I'm not finished with the thought. Because all it took, nobody could really give him an interpretation. First of all, they were they were pretty scared. Um, they were pr probably pretty scared that he would kill them if their interpretation was wrong. But here comes Joseph, and he's like, no, this is exactly what it means. It means this. And he's just like, you know what? Sounds good to me. Nobody else has answered me. You're, you're now chief of everything that I own. I know that God's behind that, but it just goes to show <laughs> that people could be pretty stupid. <laughs> as, 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 what's the word? As a not spirit led individual. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well it doesn't yeah. show that fear too like if we don't speak the truth because we're too scared to then we yeah. pass up positions of authority yeah you're right about that
<laughs> we can't look at our trials and our hardships as always as like punishment from the father because sometimes those those hardships and stuff are to place us into a position to help others yeah absolutely not only that i wanted to point out too uh he said there was two dreams and he said this happened so that there was a confirmation that was going to happen i think that's very important because there's a lot of times where people will say oh i had this dream and it means this well did it happen twice <laughs> because i know i've had dreams that just seem miraculous or spectacular or whatever and i have no explanation for them but it's not until I have a follow-up dream that tends to parallel what's going on with the first dream that I'm like, okay, now I should pay attention. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I have often, like, had these moments of, like, I guess you would call them, uh, what's the word? Um, deja vu? yeah I'm, but it's like I'm, i've dreamed it and then i'm yeah. like sitting there I'm like i've experienced this before it's weird and i've never been able, it's interesting because i've never like tried to or like tap into that to like see if that's like a spiritual gift or anything but it's really it, it weirds me out on so many levels when i'm sitting there I'm like oh oh this is doing this i've yeah, seen this happen before <laughs> I've had that too. Yeah. I'd be like driving down the road having a conversation mm -hmm. with Mike or something, and all of a sudden it's like, bro, this has happened before. <laughs> we've had this conversation at like, this we've had red this light. conversation. Went that blue car just drove past me. I've seen all this before. <laughs> and then they're like, what? You're crazy. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Anybody have Steph, any other comments? <clears throat> All right, we'll go on to chapter 42. And when Jacob saw that there was grain in Mitzrayim, and Jacob said to his sons, why do you look at each other? And he said, see, I have heard that there is grain in Mitzrayim. Go down. <laughs> go down to that place and buy for us there and let us live and not die. And Joseph's ten brothers went down to buy grain in Mitzrayim. <clears throat> but Jacob did not send Joseph's brother Benjamin with his brothers, for he said, lest some harm come to him. And the sons of Israel went to buy grain among those who journeyed, for the scarcity of food was in the land of Canaan. And Joseph was the governor over the land, and he was the one that sold to all the people of the land. <clears throat> and Joseph's brothers came and bowed down before him with their faces to the earth. Sorry, I need a drink. <clears throat> and Joseph saw his brothers and recognized them, but he acted as a stranger to them and spoke to them harshly and said to them, Where do you come from? And they said, From the land of Canaan to buy food. So Joseph recognized his brothers, but they did not recognize him. And Joseph remembered the dreams which he had dreamed about them and said to them, You are spies. You have come to see the nakedness of the land. 
And they said to him, No, my master, but your servants have come to buy food. We are all one man's sons. We are trustworthy. Your servants are not spies. But he said to them, No, but you have come to see the nakedness of the land. And they said to him, Your servants are twelve brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And see, the youngest is with our father today, and one is no more. And Joseph said to them, It is as I spoke to you, saying, You are spies. But this you shall by this you shall be proven. By the life of Pharaoh, you do not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of you and let him bring your brother while you are kept in prison. So let your words be proven to see whether there is any truth in you, or else by the life of Pharaoh you are spies. And he put them all together in prison for three days. Now Joseph said to them the third day, Do this and live, for I fear Elohim. If you are trustworthy, let one of your brothers be confined to your, to your prison house, and you go bring grain for the scarcity of food of, of your houses, and bring your youngest brother to me, and let your words be confirmed, and you do not die. And so they did. And they said to each other, Truly, we are guilty concerning our brother, for we saw the distress of his life when he pleaded with us, yet we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. And Reuben answered them, saying, Did I not speak to you, saying, Do not sin against the boy? And you would not listen, and see, as blood is now required of us. And they did not know that Joseph understood them, for he spoke to them through an interpreter. And he turned himself away from them and wept, and came back to them and spoke to them. And he took Simon from them and bound them, or bound him before their eyes. And Joseph commanded, and they filled their sacks with grain also to every, or also to put back every man's silver to his sack, and to give them food for the journey, and thus it was done for them. So they loaded their donkeys with the grain and went from there. And as one of them opened his sack to give his donkey fodder at the lodging place, he saw his silver, for there it was in the mouth of his sack. And he said to his brothers, My silver has been returned, and there it is in my sack. And their hearts sank, and they were afraid, saying to each other, What is this that Elohim has done to us? So they came to Jacob their father in the land of Canaan, and reported to him all that befell them, saying, The man, the master of the house, or the master of the land, spoke to us harshly. And took us for spies of the land. But we said to him, We are trustworthy, we are not spies. For we are twelve brothers, sons of our father, one is no more, and the youngest today, or is today with our father in the land of Canaan. And the man, the master of the land, said to us, By this I know that you are trustworthy. Leave one of your brothers here with me, and take food for the scarcity of food of your households, and go. And bring your youngest brother to me. Then I know that you are not spies, but that you are trustworthy. I give you, or I give your brother to you, and you move about in the land. And it came to be as they emptied their sacks that, look, the bundle of each man's silver was in his sack. And when they and their father saw the bundles of silver, they were afraid. And Jacob, their father, said to them, You have bereaved me. Joseph is no more. Simon is no more. And you would take Benjamin? All this is against me. So Reuben spoke to his father, saying, Take the lives of my two sons if I do not bring him back to you. Put him in my hands, and I myself bring him back to you. But he said, My son is not going down with you, for his brother is dead and he is left alone. If any man or any harm should come to him along the way in which you go, then you would bring down my gray hair with sorrow to Sheol. 
Ruben's the one who didn't want to kill or like hurt Joseph, right? Yes. And so I find it interesting. He's he's doing like he's telling his dad that he can put his two sons to death if anything happens to Benjamin. Like it's like he's he's really taking on the the role to like protect Benjamin more than what he did with Joseph. Yeah. He's his brother's keeper. What? I say Ruben's the one that said he said put him in a hole. Dig a hole or dig a pit. Or they no, they found a pit. They found a hole. And he said, put him in here and we'll deal with them later. Because he had all intentions of coming back and bringing them out. And then when he came to bring them out, <laughs> he was gone. Testament of Joseph 17, 1 through 8. Which states, so you see, my children, how many things I endured in order to not bring my brothers into disgrace. You, therefore, love one another and in patient endurance conceal one another's shortcomings. God is delighted by harmony among brothers and by the intention of a heart or a kind heart that takes pleasure in goodness. When my brothers came to Egypt, they learned that I had returned their money to them, that I did not scorn them and that I sought to console them. And after the death of Jacob, my father, I loved them beyond measure. And everything he had wanted for them, I did abundantly in their behalf. I did not per permit them to be troubled by the slightest manner. And everything I had under my control, I gave to them. Their sons were mine, and mine were as their servants. Their life was as my life. And every pain of theirs was my pain. Every ailment of theirs was my sickness. Their wish was my wish. I did not exalt myself above them arrogantly because of the worldly position of glory but i was among them as one of the least and that ties right back into what you had posted a second ago there uh Rodney. greatest to them and the least whoever is called least would be great in the kingdom of heaven i'm trying to practice this. we'll read the second portion of that in a second for anybody curious, that's the testament of the 12 patriarchs. That was Joseph. So. <clears throat> All right, we'll move on to Genesis 43. Unless somebody has another question. I would just say, too, that becoming the greatest doesn't necessarily mean, like, ruling over someone if you look, he's serving his brothers, like he's helping them. He's not necessarily there to like lord over them. Because and just like Yeshua yeah. told us, like he came to serve, to lay down his life as a ransom. And so that's what we're supposed to do. Just because you're made great doesn't mean that you're better. If anything, it just means you have more responsibility to serve your brothers and sisters in the faith. If you're given an increase or an abundance, it's specifically for that reason. It's not for you. It's not your money. It's not your mm -hmm. uh, increase. It is for the betterment of the body, if you will. Yeah. So if you have, if you have a community, a fellowship, whatever, 
or even, you know, just you see the needy or people that need help. I don't, I don't like to call them needy. It's got such a bad connotation, but it's an increase to help those, the least of those, because they have not and they cannot make anything. So it's your duty as a steward to help to aid in their lack of something. That's why you get the increase. But as far as being great or being a leader, it's not that you're standing over people and, and cracking a whip saying, do this boy or whatever, you know, and that's the, that's the difference that you see in kingship. And that's what I think that they felt with Yeshua as well, because they probably thought that Kings were supposed to sit in a, in a throne and be mighty and, and, and just be great. And everybody feared them. And no, 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 that's, that's not a great King, a great King. You have, you have two different things. <clears throat> you can have the person that's standing or sitting on the throne, you know, and being carried or whatever, or you have the person that's standing front and center of everybody saying, come on, we can, we can pull this along. We can do this. That is a great king. That is what Yeshua did. He was the servant. He came to serve, not to be served, to serve. Is he going to be a mighty ruler in the kingdom? Yes, I think that he will. But he set an example to show that a great leader, a great king, a mighty one, is not somebody that is to be served in that manner, but is there to serve, to cause a, a greatness to happen. When you are great and you act greatly towards people, the whole community, the whole congregation becomes great. I think that's the point. Makes me think of how kings and stuff used to do, like even what we see in scripture, when they went into battle with their army, and then you look at leaders now, they sit behind all their security and, oh, don't get near them, don't get close to them. They just like tell everybody what to do, but they're all kept safe for fear yep. of something happening to them. Which, and I always think back to David. I don't know if this has anything to do with anything, but I always noticed that he didn't die until he stopped going out in the battle. Mm. That makes you know? sense because I've watched elderly people in my life who were hardworking and they got out there and they did the work and stuff. And then as soon as they retire, their health like starts to fail. The only retirement you get is your rest and feel. Right. You don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> it doesn't say work until your 401k develops and you can now retire and live on that for the rest of your life. That's not what it says. It says you don't work, you don't eat. <laughs> All right. Genesis 43. <laughs> but the scarcity of food was severe in the land, and it came to be when they had eaten up the grain, which they had brought from the did we just? No. Okay. <clears throat> and it came to be when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from its rain that their father said to them, Go back, buy us a little food. But Judah spoke to them, saying, The man vehemently warned us, saying, You do not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you let your brother go with us, we go down and buy you food. But if you do not let him go, we do not go down, because the man said to us, You do not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said to them, why do you or why did you do evil to inform to this man that you still had another brother? And they said, the man kept asking, 
about us and our relatives, saying, Is your father still alive? Have you another brother? And we informed him according to these words. How could we know that he would say, Bring your brother down? And Judah said to Israel his father, Send the boy with me, and let us arise and go, and live and not die, both we and you, and also our little ones. I myself shall stand guarantee for him. From my hand you are to require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not delayed, truly by now, we could have returned the second time. And their father Israel said to them, If so, then do this. Take some of the best fruit of, of the land in your vessels and bring a present down for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices and myrrh, nuts and almonds. And take double silver in your hand. And take back in your hand the silver that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. It could have been a mistake. And take your brother and arise, go back to the man. And El Shaddai give to you compassion before the man, so that he shall release your other brother and Benjamin. And I, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And the men took the present and Benjamin, and they took double the amount of silver in their hand, and arose and went down to Mitzrayim, and stood before Joseph. And Joseph saw Benjamin with them, and said to the one over his house, Bring the men home, and make a great slaughter, and prepare, for these men are to eat with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph said, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid, because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, It is because of the silver, which was put back into our sacks the first time that we are brought in, to throw himself upon us and to fall upon us, to take us as slaves, our donkeys too. So they came near to the man over the house of Joseph and spoke to him at the door of the house and said, O oh, my master, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it came to be when we came to the lodging place that we opened our sacks and saw each man's silver in the mouth of his sack, our silver in its weight, and we have brought it back in our hand. And we have brought down another silver in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put our silvers or our silver in our sacks. But he said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your Elohim and the Elohim of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. Your silver had come to me. And he brought Simon out to them. And the man brought them in into Joseph's house and gave them water. And they washed their feet and he gave their donkeys fodder. And they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that they were there to eat, or that they were to eat. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. And he asked them about their welfare and said, Is your father where, or well, the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they said, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed down their heads, or they bowed their heads down and did obeisance. And he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, Elohim, show favor to you, my son. And Joseph hurried, for his emotions were deeply moved towards his brother. And he looked for a place to weep, and he went into his room and wept there. Then washed his face and came out and controlled himself and said, Serve the food. And they set him a place by himself, and them by themselves. And the Mitzrites who ate with him by themselves, for the Mitzrites could not eat food with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination to the, to the Mitzrites. 
And they sat before him, the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked at each other in astonishment. And he took portions to them from before them, or before him. But Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs. And they feasted and they drank with him. Here, I'll go ahead and read. Because there's only 17 verses left for the next part. <clears throat> and he commanded the one over his house, saying, Fill the men's sacks with food, as they are able to bear, and put each man's silver in the mouth of his sack, and put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and the silver for his grain. And he did according to the word of Joseph, which he spoke. As soon as, there, as the morning was light, and the men were sent away, they and their donkeys... And when they had gone out of the city, not having gone far, Joseph said to one of the men over his house, Rise up, follow the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Is this not the one from which my master drinks? And, and with which he in, indeed divines. You have done evil in what you have done. So he overtook them and spoke these words to them. And they said to him, Why does my master say these words? Far be it from us that your servants should do according to this word. See, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver which we found in the mouth of our sacks. How then should we steal silver or gold from your master's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, he shall die and we shall become my master's slaves as well. And he said, Now also let it be according to your words. He with whom it is found become my slave and you are innocent. And they hurried. Each man let down his sack to the ground, and each opened his sack. And he searched with the oldest first and the youngest last. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their garments, and each man loaded his donkey and went back to the city. And Judah and his brothers came to Joseph's house, and he was still there. And they fell before him on the ground. And Joseph said to them, What deed is this that you have done? Did you not know that a man like me indeed divines? And Judah said, what do, we, what do we have to say to my master? What do we speak? Or how do we clear ourselves? Elohim found out the crookedness of your servants. See, we are my master's slaves, both we and he also, with whom the cup was found. But he said, far be it for me to do this. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he becomes my slave. And you go up in peace to your father. We'll find out what happens next week. So, where it talks about him being able to discern by divination, like we know that that's commanded, that there's commands not to, you know, use divination. And I know that people who like Kabbalah will use this to justify that. I don't know about no justification. I think he was just being facetious. He's playing his role. Because he, like, he knew that he had put it there. I think that he's just playing his role. He, his whole point is that he's trying to be a stranger. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think he's just saying that in that in that regard. Plus, everybody there would think that that's what he did anyways in regards to him uh, you know, interpreting the dream. So... I don't think he was actually doing divination. I don't think that he meant that he was actually doing divination. I think he was just, it was all a ruse. It was a coup de gras. 
And mind you, the term divination just means divide or to deduce. So it's to, you know, like being a detective kind of thing. So when you look in the strong, they didn't, I guess KJV doesn't use divination in that, um, in that their translation because it's not even showing up. What is the word used? Does it detect? I don't know how to find it without using the word. <clears throat> Again, Testament of Joseph, and it says, if you live in one accord with the Lord's commands, really, <laughs> God will exalt you with good things forever. And if anyone wishes to do you harm, you should pray for him along with doing good. And you will be rescued by the Lord from every evil. Indeed, you can see that on account of my humility and patience, endurance, or impatient endurance, I took to myself a wife, the daughter of the priest of Heliopolis. A hundred talents of gold were given to me along with her, and my Lord caused them to be my servants. And he also gave me mature beauty, more than those of mature beauty in Israel. He preserved me until old age with strength and beauty. In every way, I was like Jacob. Now, this is where some folks would be like, oh, he's so humble, right? But look at him. Y'all he's talking about how pretty he is. <laughs> <laughs> I think people think that humility means that you have to be, like, down on yourself. But I, I, think, think, you can, he, I think you can have confidence and humility. Well, what, what are we commanding? It says if, if we boast, boast not of ourselves, right? Boast in right. the Lord. That's exactly what he just did. He He's said, like, I was God made beauty because of him. He said, yeah, I was. And he, he also gave me mature beauty. Yeah. More than those of the mature beauty in Israel. He preserved me until an old age with strength and beauty. Yeah. Nice. So he's Do always all for the glory of the Father. Exactly. Joseph was purdy, y'all. His brother was jealous. Maybe that's why they couldn't recognize him because he wasn't aging like they were. Plus, I think he was decked out in gold and everything else. Oh, yeah. He was using that Egyptian Benonite clay. He's keeping them pullers nice and tight. <laughs> He's getting that nice tan. Hey, can y'all hear me? Shalom. Hi, it's Jimmy. Hey, guys. Jimmy. Sorry, I have some conversation with my wife and really tired that's all right we're uh i think now is what jubilees just because it expounds on it still yet all right jubilees 40 <clears throat> and in those days pharaoh dreamed two dreams in a single night concerning the matter of the famine which would come upon all the land and he awoke from his sleep and called all of the interpreters of dreams and magicians who were in egypt and he told them of both his dreams, but they were unable to explain them. Then the chief of the butlers remembered Joseph, and he told the king about him. And he brought him out of the prison and told both of the dreams in his presence. 
And he said in the presence of the Pharaoh that both of his dreams were one. And he said to him, seven years will come. Abundance will be in all the land of Egypt. But afterwards, seven years of famine, which is unlike any previous famine, will be in all the land. And now let Pharaoh appoint overseers in all the land and let them store up food for a city within the city during the days of the plentiful years. And there will be food for the seven years of famine. And the land will not perish in the presence of the famine because it will be very severe. And the Lord gave Joseph favor and mercy in the sight of the Pharaoh. And the Pharaoh said to his servants, we will not find a man wise and knowledgeable as this man because the spirit of the Lord was, is with him. Oof. And he set him second in all his kingdom, and he made him rule in all of Egypt, and he made him ride upon, his, upon the second chariot of the Pharaoh, and he invested him with, yeah, he invested him with a garment of bisis, bisis, I don't know, and hung a golden chain on his neck, and they proclaimed before him, El El Wa'aber. And he gave him the signet ring on his hand, and he made him rule over all his house, and he made him great, and he said to him, I will not be greater than you except regarding the throne alone. And Joseph ruled in all the land of Egypt, and all the judges and all of the servants of the Pharaoh, and all those who did the king's work loved him because he walked uprightly, and he had no pompousness or arrogance or partiality. And there was no bribery because he ruled all the people of the land upright, uprightly. And the land of Egypt was at peace before the Pharaoh on account of Joseph, because the Lord was with him and gave him favor and mercy for all his family, for all who knew him and those who heard witnesses, a witness of him. And the kingdom of the Pharaoh was upright, and there was no Satan, and there was no evil. And the king called Joseph Sephantiphans, whatever these words mean. And he gave the daughter of Potiphar, the daughter of the priest of Heliopolis, the chief of the guard, to Joseph as a wife. I want to point out that that was right there, just a confirmation of text. But anyhow, <laughs> the chief of the guard to Joseph as a wife. And on the day that Joseph stood with the Pharaoh, he was 30 years old when he stood with Pharaoh. And in, the, in that year, Isaac died. And it came about just as Joseph related concerning the interpretation of the two dreams. And there were seven abundant years in all the land of Egypt. And the land of Egypt was very fruitful, one measure yielding 1,800 measures. And Joseph gathered the food of a city into the city until it was full of grain, until they were unable to count or measure because of its magnitude. Dun, dun, dun. And now I want to read the Psalms, Proverbs, and Leviticus first. Because they're small. And then we'll go to the half Torah and the breath. Bless you. We're going to go to Psalms 105. And it's 7 through 23. <clears throat> he is Yahuwah our Elohim. His right rulings are in all the earth. He has remembered his covenant forever. The word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant he made with Abraham and his oath to Yitzhak. And to establish it to Yehob for a law, to Israel, an everlasting covenant, saying, To you I give the land of Canaan, the portion of your inheritance. When they were when they were few in number, few indeed, and sojourners in it, 
And they went about from one nation to another, from one reign to another people. He allowed no one to oppress them, and he reproved sovereigns for their sakes, saying, Do not touch my anointed ones, and do my prophets no evil. And he called for a scarcity of food in the land. He cut off all the supply of bread. He sent ahead of them a man, Joseph, sold as a slave. They afflicted his feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons. Until the time that his word came, the word of Yahweh tried him. The sovereign sent and released him. The ruler of the people let him loose. He made him master of his house and ruler over all his possessions to bind his chiefs at his pleasures, or at his pleasure and to teach his elders wisdom. Then Israel came to Mitzrayim and Yehob sojourned in the land of Ham. And then Proverbs 19.11. I want to point out too, because it said there was no Satan in Jubilees. That's because uh, I'm contrary to popular belief. His name's not actually Satan. Satan re refers to like the behavior. Kind of like Elohim is a title. Satan is a title. Yeah. Pretty much. And in Proverbs 19.11. So the man's discretion makes him patient, and his adorning is to pass over a transgression. And then Leviticus 19. And this is something that we should all be trying to practice every day because our mighty one, Yeshua, <laughs> Son of the mighty one. <laughs> See what I did there? Commanded that this was the second. What? No. <laughs> <laughs> Leviticus 19, 17. Do not hate your brother in your heart. Reprove your neighbor for certain and bear no sin because of him. Do not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the children of your people. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. All right, Matthew 18, 32 through 35, which is, I think this is, yeah, the end of the parable of the talent. He says, he says <clears throat> then his master called him and said to him, wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt, seeing you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, as I also had compassion on you? And his master was wroth and delivered him to the tortures until he should pay all that was due to him. So also my heavenly father shall do to each or to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. I had someone who's in the Torah community tell me once that we're not, that we're not commanded to blindly forgive without the person asking for forgiveness. And I brought up passages like this and the ones where he says, like, my father won't forgive you unless you forgive others how they've sinned against you. What do y'all say? Like, I think it's I clear think, that we're commanded to forgive. Like, they don't necessarily have to ask us for our forgiveness, but that the forgive, forgiving them is for our benefit, not so much as theirs. Ah, uh, yeah. And again, that goes right back in hand with Torah, because why are we doing these things? Because it says, I set before you blessings. And curses. Mm -hmm. Do this and you are blessed. Do this and you are cursed. So if 
he's telling us, because again, he speaks through these days through his son, or in these days through his son. If he's telling us, forgive these people. Why? Because you need forgiveness. Mm -hmm. If you're not seeing fit to forgive somebody else because this, that, or the other, then why the heck should I forgive you? And this whole parable points out why. Like the forgiveness, forgiving others shows us like the mercy of the Father. We should forgive because we want to be forgiven. Loving our brother as ourselves. I still, I still believe in equal weights and measures. I still believe in an eye for an eye. None of that's been done away with. But but the whole point is the circumcision of the heart. Because if somebody does something to you, especially something trivial, you know, and you don't forgive them, then you expect the Father to forgive you. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of the Father. Everybody, everybody's sinned. We all need to seek forgiveness from him and seek to give that same forgiveness to other people. I always say you should be just as quick to forgive somebody their trespasses as you expect the Father to be with you. How do you know when you've truly forgiven someone? Because um, like we were talking about earlier, like when people are constantly like, like you want them to be in your life and you're trying to make things work, but then they're just, not growing and not doing right and they just keep doing things and you're like i forgive you and then they just keep doing it i think you lose the bitterness i don't like i won't go into details about the whole situation i've told some of you the story but like with my stepdad like because you know there was a point where i came back into the faith i wasn't following torah but i came back into the faith and i still i hadn't forgiven him I said that I did. I'd even profess it to my mom or even to him. But it wasn't until I wasn't bitter about it, you know. When I when I let go of all of the the rage, if you will, like that's I think that's the point that I knew that I had actually forgiven him. Because I talk about stuff now and it doesn't. It doesn't bother me. Most of the time I do, but other people are like, oh my God. And I'm just like, that's eh, whatever. <laughs> because it doesn't, it doesn't get to me anymore. That's when I know that, that's when I knew that I had forgiven them. And I think that holds true to most cases when you're not as bitter about it. It just so like when the anger and stuff away. doesn't like, like if you talk about it and you don't feel that emotion that it evoked before kind of thing. Yeah. Well, darn. I got Can I share a thought on that? Go ahead. Um, one uh, fellow that I was listening to had mentioned, it might have even been Matthew Jansen, or I can't remember exactly who, but it was pretty wise words. Um, <clears throat> a lot of people forgive, or a lot of people confuse forgiveness with restoration of a relationship. Like, you don't have to put yourself in harm's way with a person who's repeatedly um, bringing harm or sorrow, that that 
that is a restoration process. And that other than that's when the other person has to show repentance, change in behavior in the same way. Um, Yahweh forgives us, but that doesn't mean restoration. That means he holds no hostility towards us, but we, in our process of growing in favor and all that stuff, we make the tishuva, right? We repent in our heart, but then we show our action in our action, going back towards restoration and, and that fellowship. So forgiveness is not the same thing as restoration of fellowship is what someone smarter than me once mentioned. I'll, I'll add to that. I highly agree to that. Cause it's like what I was saying I, earlier about when you're I, in that relationship and it just makes the bitterness grow when they're constantly, yeah. they're staying the same and they're not changing. That, and I agree with what you said too, uh, Timothy and whoever said it, I agree with that statement from that individual. It sounds like it could have been Matthew. <laughs> Anyways, I want to I want to add to that. Here's a here's a prime example. If somebody steals, you know, $1000 from you and, you know, you say you forgive them, you you 9 times out of 10 you still expect to get that $1000 back. That's not that's not forgiveness. That's restoration right there. The forgiveness is, hey, you you stole this $1000 from me. You may never get it back, but you still forgave them. If you dwell on that like, hey, you you took a thousand dollars from him. That's not that's not forgiveness. You're harboring that against them forever. Forgiveness is when you let go of that and you understand that it doesn't necessarily have to be restored. And then again, like with what you were saying, Janie, it doesn't even mean that you have to, you know, fellowship with that person anymore. You can still love them, but you love them from afar. Why? Because you have seen that they are an individual that is not to be trusted. They've shown their fruits. You have identified their fruits. You know that fruit is rotten. You're not going to eat of that fruit again lest you die. Yeah, I like that. that forgive a thousand bucks. You know, you know the thousand bucks is gone. You don't go around stabbing in the back and dragging them through the mud to all your friends. You just say, okay, well, that thousand dollars is gone. That's how much that person valued our relationship. I forgive him, hold no bitterness, but I'm clearly not going to give him another thousand dollars. Yeah. I would like to point out something. Uh, sorry, I'm just hopped in. Um, but like, so I'm going through like a bunch of self-healing stuff as well with the, the uh, trauma, I guess. I don't know. But I, um, I was watching a video and one of the steps was to like forgive the person that could cause issues. I'm going through like a home birth or I'd gone through a home birth course. And uh, one of the things was, is to forgive the person that um, was holding you back from, you know, doing that. And I realized it was my mom. My mom has no idea. She has no idea that she has been a catalyst in any of this. She, has no idea that I need to forgive her, and um, so, like, I forgave her, even though she wasn't here, she has no idea she needed to be forgiven, because she doesn't, it's my own issues, it's my own, like, emotions, it's my own feelings, she didn't do anything to cause them, but there's hurt feelings there, but it's not really her fault, and we've got to remember, a lot of times, forgiveness is for ourselves, and not for others, and, like, that may sound selfish, but, like, I don't need to hold bitterness or anything towards my mom when she didn't do anything. It's just a 
like a response that we have sometimes to certain people and things that they've said that they don't mean any harm by. Um, but I was watching, um, I don't know if y'all have seen Jack, um, Jacqueline's video about her, yes. um, her telling the father that she needed to forgive him. Yeah. But that was so like deep and I like resonated with that so much because the father didn't need forgiveness. It's like what I was saying about my mom. My mom didn't need forgiveness. I needed it for myself so I could release that the bitterness or the anger or the whatever it is and I think that's what we've got to remember a lot of times forgiveness isn't always a something different. it was fun because people can be innocent and they can do something they can hurt our feelings or they can do things that hurt us but they didn't their intention was not to hurt us and they don't even know that they hurt us yep and sometimes you might hurt that relationship going to them and being like, hey, this hurt me. And I I have been holding unforgiveness towards you. Because then it's kind of like, what? Like, why have you done that? Kind of thing. So forgiveness is definitely more about us than it is the person who we feel we need to forgive. Yeah. And like, I think a lot of it comes down to like, being responsible for your own emotions and your own feelings too oh yeah like we're the only ones who can be it's like when your parents would be like you're only responsible for you don't worry about the other person and it's like that but in an adult form so i gotta read this this is the same person who shared the thing about like it's not our job to convert people and stuff also shared this luke 7 23 blessed is the one who is not offended by me i.e blessed are those who are living in spirit and truth and have no reason to be offended if you're still offended when people speak lies about you keep going you're not quite there yet when one is living in spirit and in y'all's truth nothing anyone says can offend them for they know what the truth what is the truth and do not waste their breath arguing with those who are willing who are willingly living lies and it that hit me so hard because I'm like, I'm quick to point out when my children are easily offended, but I fail to see when I'm easily offended by things. And I needed that. I needed to see that today. And the whole forgiveness thing and all that, like, I think some things offend us because it hurts us. Some things offend us because we're just being petty and prideful. And at the end of it is we we're supposed to know the truth of y'all's word. And so that truth offends people who are outside of it. So we shouldn't be offended when they come at us. And like Yeshua, I don't ever see in scripture where he's like, what? How dare you not believe what the father told me to say to you? Gasp. I am offended. <laughs> like he never, he's never fickle and frail like that like he just stands on that truth like i know what the truth is yeah you're gonna murder me for it but you know it is what it is next we have luke 24 13 through 29 and it states and see two of them two of them were going that same day to a village called Emmaus, 
which was 60 stadia from Jerusalem. And they were talking to each other of all this which had taken place. And it came to be as they were talking and reasoning that Yeshua himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained so that they did not know, did not know him. And he said to them, what are these words you are exchanging with each other as you are walking? And you are sad. And the one whose name was Cleophas answering said to him, are you the lone visitor in Jerusalem who does not know that what had what took place in these days? And he said to them, what? And they said to him concerning Yeshua of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty indeed and word before Elohim and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and impaled him. We, however, were expecting that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. But besides all this, today is the third day since these matters took place. A certain women of ours, who arrived at the tomb early, also astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of messengers who said he was alive. And some of those went with us to the tomb and found it, as also the women had said, but they did not see him. And he said to them, O thoughtless ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Messiah to suffer these and to enter into his esteem? And beginning at Moshe and all the prophets, he was explaining to them in all the scriptures the matters concerning himself. And they approached, approached the village where they were going, and he seemed to be going in. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening. And the day has declined, and he went in and stayed with them. <clears throat> again, <laughs> again to add to it, I guess. So I'll just go ahead and go there. He didn't say concerning all the things that means that he's the father. He said concerning all the things that were to happen to this prophet in whom they spoke of, which was him. The chosen one. Uh, here, I'll just. We've got three more of this passage. We haven't done the half tour yet, but I'll go through these real quick. Uh, Colossians 3 12 through 15 mm -hmm. states, <clears throat> Therefore, as chosen ones of Elohim, set apart and beloved, Put on compassion, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving each other. If anyone has a complaint against each other, indeed, as Messiah forgave you, so also should you. But above all these, put on love, which is a bond of the perfection. And let the peace of Elohim rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body and be filled with thanks. I think that. I think that sums up what I was trying to say. I don't even, I don't even have to speak. The scriptures speak for me. <laughs> Ephesians 4, <clears throat> 30 and 32. State this. And do not grieve the set-apart spirit of Elohim by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and displeasure and uproar and slander be put away from you, along with all evil, and be kind towards one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as Elohim also forgave you in Messiah.
And then Revelation 20, 1 to 3. Zone. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Unmute yourself, Janie. Revelation what? Twenty. Twenty Sorry. verse one to three. You can, I was trying to mute because background noise, and you went to say something. When I went to do it. Oh, I didn't even realize I was unmuted at first. <laughs> I was like, oh, I was muted. My bad. <laughs> All right, Revelation twenty one through. One through three, chapter 20, verses one through three. <clears throat> and it says, and I saw a messenger coming down from the heaven, having the key to the pit of the deep and a great chain in his hand. And he seized the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the pit of the deep and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should lead the nations no more astray until the thousand years were ended. And after that, he has to be released for a little while. That's the Brit Hadashah portion. We still have Torah, but we can touch on these passages. Again, that's literally everything I just said. That's, oh, foolish man to think that I'm speaking anything <laughs> that, that, that needs an introduction when the scriptures state it. Plainly. <laughs> has that happened yet? The revelation thing? No, it has not. It has not. Does that go hand in hand with the part? Uh, I don't know exactly what the address, but it's also in Revelation where it talks about uh, the war in heaven and Satan being cast out and the millstone like a millstone being thrown into the sea kind of all that doesn't that go hand in hand yeah, I know. Well, I know that Revelation nineteen eleven starts the basically the story of Yeshua going to war, as it says. Yeah, come and gather together for the supper of the great Elohim to eat the flesh of sovereigns and the flesh. And he's talking to the birds, obviously. He said, and I saw the beast and the sovereigns of the earth and their armies gathered together to fight him who sat on the horse and his army, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who worked on Yeah. This is, if we believe that this is chron chronologically correct, then yeah, this would be right before. Actually, it would have to. Because yeah, and it says, and I saw a messenger coming, he seized the dragon. The beast was seized, and he seized the dragon. Yeah, I would say this happened right before it. <clears throat> uh, and Yahweh shall inherit Judah his portion in the set apart land and he shall again choose Jerusalem hush all flesh before Yahweh for, 
for he has roused himself out of his set-apart dwelling. And he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the messenger of Yahuwah, and Satan standing at his right hand to be an adversary to him. And Yahuwah said to Satan, Yahuwah, rebuke you, Satan. Yahuwah, who has chosen Jerusalem, rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? And Joshua was dressed in filthy garments and was standing before the messenger. And he answered and spoke to those who stood before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him, who he, or, and to him he said, See, I have removed your guilt from you and shall put costly robes on you. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. And they put a, then they put a clean turban on his head. And they put garments on him, and the messenger of Yahuwah stood by. And the messenger of Yahuwah witnessed to Joshua, saying, Thus said Yahuwah of hosts, If you walk in my ways, and if you guard my duty, then you shall also rule my house, and also guard my courts. And I shall give you access among these standing there. Now listen, Je Joshua the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are men of symbol. For look, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch. See the stone which I have put before Joshua. On one stone are seven eyes. See, I am engraving its inscription, declares Yahuwah of hosts. And I shall remove the guilt of that land in one day. In that day, declares Yahuwah of hosts, you shall invite one another under the vine and under the fig tree. And the messenger who was speaking to me came back and woke me up as a man is awakened from sleep. And he said to me, What do you see? So I said, I have looked and see a lamp stand of all of gold with a bowl on top of it. And on the seven are the stand seven lamps with seven spouts to the seven lamps. And two olive trees are by it, one at the right of the bowl and the other at its left. When I responded and spoke to the messenger who was speaking to me, saying, What are these, my master? And the messenger who was speaking to me answered and said to me, Do you not know what these are? And I said, No, my master. And he answered me and said to me, This is the word of Yahuwah to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, said Yahuwah of hosts. Who are you, great mountain, before Zerubbabel? A plain. And he said, And he shall bring forth the capstone with shouts of favor, favor to it. What was that? Was that Zachariah what? That part right there, the, the, it was Zachariah. It, I don't know why it does. It says Zechariah 2, 14 through 4, 7, but there is no Zechariah 2, 14. I think we had that problem last time. What is it? You said Zechariah 2, 14 through what? I started in Zechariah 2, 12. So from 2.12 to 4.7. Oh, mine has a, Mom, mine has a 14. Mine has what, 14 right. to 17. What does your, your 14 say? Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I'm coming, and I will live among you. It is a declaration of Adonai. In that day, many nations will join themselves to Adonai, and they will be my people, and I will dwell among you. Then you will know that Adonai Titzvot has sent me to you. Adonai will inherit Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will once again 
choose Jerusalem. Be silent before Adonai, all flesh, for he has aroused himself from his holy dwelling. Yeah, so your 13 is, or your 14 is my 13. Yeah, so the TLV, like, does the, I think it's supposed to be true to the, like, Hebrew Bible or whatever, or something. I got no clue. I do want to get the real life version, but. That's why I tell people when I'm using it, I'm like, when I'm in the Old Testament, I'm like, my verses might not be the same as your verses. <laughs> right. Well, the I get four portions from three three different sources and just kind of mash them together in concordance to what they say. And uh, yeah, the the one that I had, yeah, that's what it said was fourteen. But it's fine. It is fine. <clears throat> I like Zechariah 4, verse 6. And he answered and said to me, This is the word of Yahuwah, who is Zerubbabel, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, said Yahuwah of hosts. I like that. <clears throat> um, now we go to Yeshayahu, Isaiah. We'll do 196. 16 to 25. And then, and then we only have one more thing to read. And we could talk about whatever. What was it? The one you just said? Isaiah 19. <clears throat> 16 through 25. Elijah. <clears throat> And it says, In that day, Mitzrayim shall become like women and tremble in fear because of the waving of the hand of Yahuwah of hosts, <clears throat> which he waves over it. And the land of Judah shall be a fear to Mitzrayim. Everyone who men mentions it fears for himself because of the counsel of Yahuwah of hosts, which he has counseled against it. And that day, <clears throat> good Lord. <laughs> In that day, five cities in the land of Mitzrayim shall speak the language of Canaan and swear by Yahuwah of hosts. One is called the city of destruction. In that day, a slaughter place to Yahuwah shall be in the midst of the land of Mitzrayim and a standing column to Yahuwah at its border. And it shall be for a sign and for a witness to Yahuwah of hosts in the land of Mitzrayim. When they cry to Yahuwah because of the oppressors, he sends them a savior and a great one and shall deliver them. And Yahuwah shall be known to Mitzrayim, and the Mitzrites shall know Yahuwah in that day, and make slaughtering and meal offering, and shall make a vow to Yahuwah and pay it. And Yahuwah shall smite Mitzrayim, smite it and heal it, and they shall turn to Yahuwah, and he shall hear them and heal them. In that day there shall be a highway from Mitzrayim to Ashur, and Ashur shall come into Mitzrayim, and Mitzrayim into Ashur. And Mitzrayim shall serve with Ashur. In that day, Yisrael shall be one of three with Mitzrayim and Ashur, even a blessing in the midst of the earth, whom Yahuwah of hosts shall bless, saying, Blessed is Mitzrayim, my people, and Ashur, the work of my hands, and Yisrael, my inheritance. <clears throat> I wanted to point out that 
So in mine on verse 18, where it says, I think yours said the city of destruction. Mine says mm -hmm. city of the sun. And I think Josh pointed out, because um, someone had asked about the nine branch menorah and stuff and the shamash and how the the word shim, shamash, I'm not a say it, I speak Hebrew. I am redneck from North shemash Carolina. or shamash, yeah. Yeah. Shemesh. And didn't you say something about the city of the sun? Uh, yeah, that's, it's a uh, Bet Shemesh. Yeah. So, yeah. And that's also, what that has right the there. God, yeah. the sun in mind. <laughs> yeah, it's also a name for Heliopolis and, or Om and what have you. It's a common name among pagan nations. Well, Just well, like so the yeah, city Heli of the moon or whatever, right? Yeah. Heliopolis. Yeah, that, I guess that would be the city of the sun because Helio. Heliocentric yeah, sun. It was the home of their son god Ra, right? It's just the uh, uh, Greekified version of it, but yeah. Um, and then just oh, like uh, Jericho is just the city of the uh, moon. I think it's interesting that it points it out, though, nonetheless. Because it said five cities in the land of Mitzrayim shall speak the language of Canaan and swear by Yahweh posts. One, only one, is only one that's named is called the City of Destruction, or I guess the City of the Sun. I like, I like this, verse 22. Yahweh shall smite Mitzrayim, smite it, and heal it. And they shall turn to Yahweh, and he shall hear them and heal them. I think that's very important. Because this is what I was talking to Mike about the other day. Uh, because many people, even in the Torah camp, that say that we, you know, we don't follow the letter of the law because the letter kills. Yes, we do follow the letter of the law, and the letter does kill. It's supposed to. <laughs> it's supposed to break you down. It's supposed to break you down and remove every bit of, um, yeah, of sin, of, you know, contrary behavior. And it's then the, the spirit, blessings and the curses, right? Exactly, exactly. And the spirit heals because it teaches you, like, hey, this, th this is the correct way. Yeah, you're doing this right. And then, yeah, the blessings and the curses. You are cursed because you disobeyed. Now you will be blessed because you are obeying. I think that's a, a and, and and even in the church, like, you know, people will be like, oh, you know, it's it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. No. <laughs> Let that person be broken because God, not you, God is going to bring them back up. Uh, doesn't Paul like admonish one of his churches because he says you are covering this man who's with his his dad's wife or whatever he's like sleeping with her or whatever and he's like even the pagans don't do this nonsense. He's like throw him out so that with his shame and stuff he'll be saved because yeah. if, and that's where we get this like i was it was drilled into us in our church you know oh you tell the truth in love oh you have to be gentle and meek and that. no you don't have to be a pansy the truth is love if my child is yeah. going to run in the street and i see a car coming i'm going to scream at the top of my lungs for them to stop i'm not gonna be like hey sweetie please don't go on the road a car's coming <laughs> like <laughs> that's dumb like we have this, our culture has taught us this lie that you can't be honest with people because they're too frail and you don't want to make them feel bad. 
feeling bad is what led me to the father because I've known that there was a God my whole life. That wasn't the issue that I didn't believe in him, but I still didn't fear him because I did whatever I wanted to. I ran around and was a hussy. Like, you should be broken down because yes. of your sin. That's the whole point. <laughs> I was ashamed. I still to this day feel shame. Like I will literally cry and be like, Father, like I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve yeah. your forgiveness. Like I was a bad person. I did bad things. And that's, I should be punished that, for that. <laughs> like, exactly. That, that, going back to Paul Washer, man, that's what that's one of the things he said that I thought was absolutely correct was you know, when you see all this stuff and all the judgment and then the grace, like only a logical, the only logical response when you stand before judgment and he grants you forgiven is, no, you are wrong. <laughs> I am wicked. You should condemn me. Yeah. That's the only response a logical individual should be able to give. Because if you truly see your sin and see that, you know, you have the conversion a, a separation of uh, relationship with that sin because you no longer love doing these things you hate it you detest it you loathe it and you see what a wicked person you were and how he has restored you the only logical response is for you to be like no you are wrong <laughs> i've asked people before i know i think dustin you've probably heard me say this like i've asked people if you knew that you wouldn't inherit eternal life. If you got nothing at the end of it, if if you were going to just get yeeted into the lake of fire because of the bad you did, would you still choose from this point on in your life, knowing that the Father has the best at heart and it's to glorify Him and to love others, would you still obey Him if you got nothing in return? Yeah, because He has every right. <laughs> He even says in, in Ezekiel, uh, in, in, in regards to the, the new covenant, the new kingdom, that it's not for our sake. None of it's for our sake. It's for his sake. All of it is for his glory. Because we have so long blasphemed his name. And I say we as an even modern day because... We slap this title of, you know, uh, God-loving, God-fearing, or Christian on ourselves and then turn around and do the things that he detests. We are literally breaking the commandment and bringing his name to nothingness. We're bringing his name to naught when we do that because that is not who he is. That is not who he said his people would be. But yet here we are slapping these titles on ourselves. And saying that, yeah, we totally serve God, but we're not showing it in our deed and action. It's not for our sake, it's for his sake. So, yeah, absolutely. Even if I got nothing in return. And that's not to say that I want nothing in return. I hope for something. I hope to make it into the kingdom. But even if I don't, yeah, I would absolutely serve him. Because he has every right. Because before I found the truth, there's many, many times I, I, I walked in, in just downright wickedness, downright wickedness. And I don't deserve anything. I just hope for it. That's it. That's all I have. I don't expect it. I hope for it. That's one of that's the things. Was saying too. It's one of the things that put me on this path 
long before I my eyes were open to what Torah was, it literally we were leaving church, and I mean we were going to church every day, like not every day, like every Sunday, and I was there on Wednesdays with my kids, and and I looked at CJ several times when we left church, and I'm like, everybody's over here talking about what they're gonna get. Oh, I'm gonna get a mansion. Oh, I'm gonna, my health is gonna, like, I'm gonna be able to walk and not be in pain, and it's gonna be so great and wonderful, like, streets of gold, and I was like, I just want to be in the presence of the Father, and I just want to bow at his feet and grovel like a little petty little child and just worship him. Like, I just want to fall at his feet in awe. I was like, is that isn't that the heart we're supposed to have? Not elevating myself or saying that I, I have it all right. But when we sit here in church and we're singing songs about my mansion that I'm going to get and the street walking on streets of gold, but you don't hear any reverence for the father, really. It's all about what you're going to get. Yeah. And I cried out to the father and I said, break my heart for what breaks yours. And let me tell you, don't pray that unless you're ready, because he's he's going to show you. He's going to show you what breaks his heart. And I'm telling you, there are many a days where I'm just so overwhelmed. I literally was crying to my husband last night. I'm like, at this point, I was like, sometimes I just wish I didn't care. I wish I could just turn it off. I wish I could just not see what I see. Yeah. Because it's just too much. It's just so overwhelming. And that's just a smidgen of what the fault. Like, I, I know I'm not seeing everything he sees. It's just a little glimpse. Um, I know too, how it breaks my heart when my children disobey me or when they don't respect me or they don't think that I know what's best for them. It hurts. Yeah. Let's say everybody talks about the, you know, making it to heaven, making it to heaven. Well, the devil was there. Yeah. The angel, all the angels were there. Yeah, it's not about heaven. It's not. Yeah. Who cares about any of that? That's not what's important. Everybody, everybody wants to go to heaven. They just Nobody don't want God to be out. there. They don't want God to be there when they get there. That's the point because they know that they're going to. This is why I don't believe in atheism. This, when going back to Paul Washer again. Yeah. Uh, I posted that post that of what that was what he said, and I think he might have been reading it from somebody else. So go seek his video to find who to give the real credit to for stating that. But I agree with it. <laughs> I agree with it. Too. I've said it before. But they just yeah, make themselves God. They they make themselves God because they know they know deep down that they need judgment and that they're going to get judgment and they have to push it so far out of them. And that's because everybody inherently, they want to go to heaven. Even if you ask an atheist if they want to go to heaven, they'll tell you, yeah. What did the rich young ruler, what did the rich young ruler ask Yeshua? He didn't say, how do I serve the father? How do I love the father? He said, how do I gain eternal life? Yeah. Tell me what I got to do to get, to get this ultimate goal. Yeah. And, and his response was that he had kept he kept all the commands. And he said, well, sell all you have. And everybody will tell you that. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's that one individual that went back and forth talking about um, 
he knows he should sell stuff because of that parable. And I don't think it was about the selling stuff. It's I about your it's heart about, condition. About your heart conditions. You're storing oh. up you're storing up these things in heaven. Man, that's what it is. And and that goes back to every other parable. You know, do do unto the least of these and you've done it for me, you know? Yeah. And that's I think that's what he was getting at. Like you're you're all about your wealth, you you rich young ruler. Like if if you truly <laughs> want to make eternal life, man, then the only way you're gonna get it is if you're seeking to do the good to the to the least of these, or then you've done it to the master, you're sure. Well, it says we were we were reading. I was reading earlier, and it was talking about uh, where was I? I want to say I was in. Is it John? No. Yeah. Well, let me see. I think it was John. Where it was. It was near the. Do do do. Hold on. Let's see it. anyways it was talking about like whoever isn't willing to give up yes whoever isn't willing to give up um father uh mother brother sister um children it was literally after the rich young ruler story and he, he was talking about how it's hard for those who love riches or put their trust in riches to and to enter into the kingdom and the disciples are like well who can be saved which shows you we're not saved yet say salvation literally is equal to entering the kingdom okay. and uh they're like well that's impossible like it's impossible and he's like well nothing's impossible with god and it just shows like where our heart should be is not about what we're going to get because after that it's literally james and um one of the other ones they're like asking like who's going to sit on the right hand and who's going to sit on the left and it's all they're wanting to be in a status they're wanting these positions and it's like he tells them it's not my choice the father is the one who's going to choose who gets these positions he's chosen those positions We're just supposed to be lowly servants. That's literally what our Messiah came to be, was to serve, to be ransomed. Because we were slick, we were prisoners of sin, and he ransomed himself to free us from that prison. Yeah. One more passage, Isaiah 55, and then... I'm sure there's a few topics that'll probably ended up getting discussed. Um, <laughs> so it says, <clears throat> Isaiah 55, O everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without price. Why do you weigh out silver for what is not bread and your, lab and your labor for what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and let your being delight in its fatness. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear so that your being lives. I want to point out that that word here is most definitely Shema, and it means obey. <laughs> so 
so that your being lives and let me make an everlasting covenant with you, the trustworthy loving commitments of David. See, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. See, a nation you do not know, you shall call, and a nation who does not know you, run to you, because of Yahweh your Elohim and the set-apart one of Israel. For he has adorned you. Seek Yahweh while he is to be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wrong forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to Yahweh, who has compassion on him, and to our Elohim, for he pardons much. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares Yahuwah. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down, and the snow from the heavens, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, and give seed to the sower, and bread to the eater, so is my word that goes forth from my mouth. It does not return to me empty but shall do what I please and shall certainly accomplish what I sent it for. For with joy you go out and with peace you are brought in. The mountains and the hills break forth into singing before you and all the trees of the field clap the hands. Instead of the thorn, the cypress comes up and instead of the nettle, the myrtle comes up and it shall be to Yahuwah for a name, for an everlasting sign which is not cut off. That's the end of the portion.